Let's pray. Lord, we ask as we open your word that you would continue your relentless pursuit of us. God, that your glory might be made known through your word as it is recorded in scripture and through your word as it has been made known in the flesh, your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is uh, Advent 4, and we've been in uh, the book of Isaiah uh, for the past three weeks, and we continue with Isaiah today, Isaiah chapter 7. Now, our passage comes uh, at a turning point in the history of the southern kingdom of Judah, and that turning point hinges on the answer to one question in particular. Who do you trust? When your existence and the existence of everything and everyone that you care about is under threat. It's that question that is at the root of our passage today that King Ahaz, the king of Judah, faces. Who do you trust when the existence of you and everything and everyone that you care about is threatened? Now, we don't like these moments, right? In our own lives, we don't like when these questions come about, when we find ourselves in the circumstances that dictate that question being asked. We almost always seek to avoid those situations at all costs, right? But they still happen, right? We get the unexpected diagnosis, we lose a job, the economy tanks, and our wealth tanks with it, our security that we put in that wealth. Our party loses a critical election. A scandal reveals the true character of someone whom we highly regarded. Someone we thought was a friend, a close friend at that, turns against us, reveals their true colors. These types of unexpected events, they present themselves as an existential threat to our identity, to the way in which we understand the world to work. We feel them acutely, right? Because they question what we know or what we think we know. It calls us to question what we know or what we think we know. And it's completely understandable, therefore, that when these sort of existential threats pop up, we begin to ask that question. What is it that I know? What is it that I can hold onto firmly, that I can put my trust and my hope in that will not change no matter what this change in my life brings about. All right, these are the moments where the stakes are high. And so in one sense, it is good to ask that type of question, as hard as it is. Well, it's at the emergence of an existential threat that we find King Ahaz of the southern kingdom of Judah in our reading from Isaiah. The 12 nations of Israel have been divided into two kingdoms. You've got uh, 10 kingdoms that... Uh, or excuse me, 10 tribes that form uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And then you have the two tribes remaining that form the southern kingdom of Judah, which has its pearl, the city of Jerusalem. The northern kingdom has already begun its journey towards collapse by signing various treaties with these foreign powers. And uh, currently in our reading, as we pick it up, they have formed a coalition with the nation of Syria against an empowered common enemy, the Assyrian Empire, this growing force on their borders. 
And so when Ahaz, the king of this little kingdom of Judah, hears about this alliance between uh, Israel and Syria, Isaiah records earlier in chapter 7, verse 2, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. This is not good news for Ahaz. This alliance between Israel, the northern kingdom, and Syria. Not only was the Assyrian empire this growing threat, but now the team of Syria and Israel are powerful enough to be a threat themselves, and they are right up against Judah's border. This is a a classic case of get on the bus or get run over by it in Ahaz's mind. He can join Israel and Syria against the Assyrians, or he can get invaded by Israel and Syria. And Isaiah actually records uh, that that is indeed their plan, that if Ahaz doesn't uh, uh, willfully and voluntarily join their alliance, well, they will make sure that his kingdom does under a puppet king. And so what is Ahaz going to do? Where will he turn to face this existential threat to him and to his people? Well, it's in this moment, as this question hangs over Ahaz's head, that God shows up. Through Isaiah... Verse 4 of chapter 7, this is still just preceding our reading today. Through Isaiah, God says to Ahaz, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. What a great line is that. Right? They, they want you to believe that they are some white, hot, powerful forces that much, must be dealt with, but they are, in all actuality, smoldering stumps. And God guarantees Ahaz that within 65 years, neither Israel nor Syria will even exist as a distinct nation. And then we pick up the story in verse 10. As a means of assurance, God takes the somewhat unusual and unexpected step of verse 10 in our reading. If you want to look along, we're in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. God takes this somewhat unusual, unexpected step. He tells Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. He says, ask anything. Nothing is off limits. Let your imagination run wild. Go crazy, he says. Ask for a sign. Let me show you that you can trust me, God says. I'll prove it to you. And so how does Ahaz respond to this request? Verse 12. Ahaz says, no, no, no. No, no, no. I won't ask for a sign. I I won't put the Lord to the test. Now to be clear, just so we're clear, if God asks you to do something and you refuse, you're not pious you're being rebellious, right? This is not piety that Ahaz is uh, presenting. It's rebellion. The history of Israel recorded in 2 Kings reveals why Ahaz refuses to put his trust in God here in this moment, why he refuses 
uh, to ask God for a sign. It's because he's already made his choice. He's already made his alliance. He already knows where his trust and faith lies. Second Kings chapter 6, beginning at the ninth verse. Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria. This, this growing empire, this threat to the northern kingdom and to Syria itself. Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. You see, friends, there's, there's no piety, there's no faithfulness in Ahaz's response to God. In fact, it's just the opposite. God, I am supposed to put my trust in you, but I'm not sure that you know the threats that I perceive I am up against. They threaten my very existence, the existence of everything of which I care or of which I am in control. I am not going to test your faithfulness to me, your ability to fulfill your promise. I'd hate to make you look bad. Instead, I'm going to use that sharp intellect you blessed me with, God, to align myself with a power that I know can defeat my enemies more assuredly than you can. Yes, I'll be indebted to that power, but I trust it will be worth it in the end. Well, how does God respond? Look at verse 14. Three things God does and God says. Verse 14, in response to Ahaz's unfaithfulness and distrust in him, we read, God says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. I'm going to give you a sign anyway, and that sign that you refuse will actually become an everlasting sign of God's faithfulness to restore what you, Ahaz, in your folly, have lost. Verse 16, the second response that God has for Ahaz in his unfaithfulness. He says, the land whose two kings you dread, it will be deserted. This threat that you perceive, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to prove to be nothing. And then in verse 17, the kicker. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim, which is another name for this northern kingdom of Israel, since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. And how exactly will this turmoil come? How will this judgment against Ahaz and against the people which Ahaz uh, leads? How will it come? Well, it will come by the hands of your ally, the king of Assyria. God says to Ahaz, your destruction." And the destruction of everything of which you care and of which you are in control will come at the hands of the God that you enthroned, of the faith uh, that you put in to this foreign power, this human power. That human power will overrun you. This God that you enthroned. Friends, this is what, this is what I want us to see today, that when we choose as Ahaz did, to put our trust in something other than God, then God honors that choice. 
And the inevitable result is that we become captive to that very thing. Right? God honors that choice, and the inevitable result is that we become captive to that very thing. It is to our detriment. We think our autonomy will be preserved, when in actuality it is lost to a harsher God that we choose to enthrone. God, I'm, I'm supposed to trust you with my resources. God, I'm, I'm supposed to trust you with my comfort, with the people and the things that are dear to me. But I'm not sure that you know what I need as well as I do. I'm not sure that you know what they need as well as I do. So God, in great piety, I commit to give you everything I have that's left over after my needs and their needs are met. Friends, when we do this, what have we done? What have we done but give ourselves to the God of personal wealth, to personal comfort, to the God of our safety? And when we do that, we forget the unique attribute of the Christian God that sets him apart from all others. And that's this, that he is the only one who has stated that his motivation is the good of the people that he created, despite our repeated rejections of his care. He stakes his reputation on our welfare, on our salvation. He says that it is for his glory that we are redeemed and restored. We will know who he is by the way he treats us, is what God says. We know this also from the book of Isaiah, later in uh, chapter 43. God says through Isaiah, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He says, my reputation is on the line, and I align myself with your good, with your salvation. Later on in Isaiah chapter 48, God says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God says, it's through you. It is through my work in your life that my name will be glorified. And this is distinct from any other God that we can try to manufacture or put in power. You see, friends, Ahaz, he's not the only example that God gives when we are faced with an existential threat to our identity. He's not the only example in this very passage. What God, let me ask it this way, what does God give as a counter to this powerful king, Ahaz, who refuses the sign of God and chooses to put his faith in human power? Well, he gives a humble, unknown virgin woman who accepts the sign of God and refuses to put her faith in any power but that of God himself. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And just as Ahaz's choice led to his and his people's ruin, so we see Mary's choice leads to her and her people's and all people's salvation. We read from our gospel passage today, the angel said to Joseph, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, when you find yourself teetering on the edge, know this. God shows up. When we choose to put our faith in something other than him anyway, he he sends a sign. Know this. He sends a sign. Not just a sign, he sends his son, in fact. Friends, God's pursuit of you is relentless. Though we are tried in the furnace of affliction, as Isaiah records God saying, he will not give his glory to another, but through us, by way of the sacrifice of his son, he will make his glory known. Friends, this is the God in whom we can trust. This is the God when faced with those existential threats and crises, we can say, God, I trust you. God, whatever you ask, I will do. Not just for my good, but for your glory. Amen.